are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note that the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. Hello and welcome to Where Your Treasure Is. I am Bex and along with my co-host Simon, we are going to continue our conversations about money season. And at the moment, we're almost a season within a season as we discuss how the past, present and future can each shape and influence our view of money and how our attitudes towards each of those influence how we spend and use our money. So last week we talked about the past and really how the past can influence us, but that it doesn't have to define us. We don't have to stay bound by it. And so this week we are bang up today and we are in the present. Simon, welcome to the present. Are you glad to be here? Well, my present is a very good place to be. Very good to be here. I think we're having a cracking set of conversations so far, which could continue for a while. But today's job is to have our conversation around what do we do with our current attitudes and behaviours and emotions around money and how can we use the present to hopefully influence the future for the better. And I'm thinking now a bit like Back to the Future. Last episode was the past and the past has influenced our present. What that means is that the present is going to be the past when we get to the future. And so we have to make sure we're putting in some good experiences, some good conversations. We're learning some good stuff about money to make that future as good as it can be. Are you confused, Bex? Yeah, I'm worried I'm going to get lost in a time warp somewhere and get left behind in the past or trapped in the future. But we'll power on and hope that that doesn't happen. So, Simon, what should we be thinking about right now, now that we're in the present and we've got our money? Well, you just said it. You don't want to get trapped in the past. And I think so many people do get trapped in the past when it comes to their money, whether it is influences that have defined their attitude towards money today, whether it's actions that they themselves have taken, which have put them in a certain financial situation today, or in some cases, it's actions that other people have taken that have impacted on their present financial circumstance. And what we want to do is have a think, what should we do today, this week, this month, even this year to get a better handle, not just on our finances, but on our attitudes and emotions towards money to get them better. And I think the very first thing that we can do is begin to have conversations about money. It's almost like we planned this season. You'd have thought, but let's not go there. So we are having conversations about money in the present. Who should we be having those conversations with? And I guess what are some of the principles behind those conversations? We can't possibly cover every single conversation about money that you might have right now. So what are helpful things we can take into any conversation about money? We spoke a little bit in episode two about the internal conversation, how we talk to ourselves about money. And we spoke last week in the past about how we need to have a self-awareness of actually the way money influences us. And once we've got that, I think it's incredibly healthy to find that trusted partner, mentor, colleague, potentially friend from church, 
with whom you can begin to have what might be an open and frank and honest conversation about money, might dig a bit deep into your own emotions, mistakes, concerns. And it's finding that right person and then finding the way to begin the conversation that we can start to take steps and and move forward. Bex, how would you go about finding a person like that to have a money conversation with? So some of the things that I personally would be looking for in that person is someone who models money really well, someone who has a view of money and who spends their money in a way that I would like to work towards. So there's almost a bit of an aspirational aspect there. For me, it would need to be someone who I trust. It feels like without that basis, the conversation is always going to be surface level rather than actually getting into the depths of the conversation. You mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Bex, how you had some friends that you would speak to about money just in conversation and how they had put in place this idea of a, I think you called it a triple lock. If they were spending more than £100, uh, three digits, they would always pause, speak to each other first and then agree together to, to make that purchase. I think that's a really great example of how we can use friendships, perhaps of people who are more life experienced than us, doesn't mean they have to be older. They might simply be in the situation that we find ourselves. So for you, Bex, finding somebody who is self-employed would help you in some of those decisions that you face today. For a single person, it might help finding another single person who is facing the same kind of financial decisions. So the, the kind of person who might have experience in the area in which we want to talk about Or, like you say, that person who you look at and think, I think they've got this covered. They probably don't think they do, but to be able to ask them to bring you on in your understanding and your maturity when it comes to handling money, I think is really wise. So what kind of questions might you ask this wonderful person we've found and established when it comes to talking about money, Bex? Is this to ask them to be that person or is this once we've already established a relationship? Do it both. I think you've nailed it on the head there. You can't just dive in, can you, with a deep money conversation without broaching the subject gently, first of all? I'd say that would be a really great start. And often it's helpful to explain to someone why we think they're a brilliant person for us to talk to. And sometimes that's just a brilliant form of encouragement for that person as well. And also articulating what it is that we're hoping this person will be able to help us with or offer some wisdom on. And to be able to do that, we also need to know what we would like from this person. Yeah, sometimes it's more than just knowledge or experience. Sometimes we actually also want some accountability. It might be a case of, I've got no one else to talk to about this, so can I both pick your brains, but also can you come back and ask me, am I doing what I said I will do? Am I following my own desires. And what I mean here is, am I behaving with money the way I want to behave rather than the way my natural instinct is taking me? That accountability can actually hold us on the right track when we're tempted to do things that, if we thought about it, we know wouldn't be the right thing. And accountability is so often a word that we throw about in Christian circles. And I think it can become a bit morphed or change over time. 
So one of the key things for me, if I'm entering an accountable relationship with someone else, is to set really clear expectations of what both of us are going to commit to do, but also to give that person, if I'm the person who's been accountable, explicit permission to call me out on things or to ask me questions that actually I know I won't want to be asked, but are the things that I'm struggling with or that really I need someone to prompt me on to talk about. Yeah, it's a real fine balance between seeing somebody doing something with money that you might think isn't quite right, isn't biblical, isn't scriptural, just isn't good for them, and wanting to help them by speaking into their lives, by being a positive influence, or judging them and criticizing them and harboring this feeling towards them. We're called not to judge one another, but we are called to, I want to say, call out from each other those situations which might be unhealthy or even worse, ungodly. Let me pose this question to you, Bex. What role do you think our church leaders have to play in this money conversation, whether it is our pastors or our ministers or those who lead us in other situations within the church environment? So I think the biblical principle for me at play here is the idea that we submit to those who are in leadership above us, that effectively when we are coming under their leadership, we're saying, yeah, I might not agree with you on absolutely everything, but really I am choosing to follow your leadership. And that is effectively giving someone a level of authority to speak into your life in a pastoral capacity. Now, that doesn't mean we have to agree with someone 100% of the time. We are all our own people with our own free will. But I think sometimes it's even just helpful to acknowledge that even when we sometimes get our words horribly wrong, that that person is often coming from a place of love and wanting the best for us. But Simon, I imagine this must be a particular interesting line for you to walk as somebody who has professional experience in money and as someone who has a professional background in money. So how do you determine when you maybe see things that aren't the best or you would do things differently, when to speak and when actually that's not your place to speak into that situation? Yeah, well, more often than not, it's not my place to speak into the situation. And you do hold your tongue. It's understanding the different relationships we have with people. So there might be people I know at church where I see them doing things with their money that I know aren't ideal, but the relationship I have with that person, whether it is a very distant relationship, I don't really know them very well, or I know them in a different capacity, it isn't automatically my role to jump in and say, because I'm a financial planner, you should listen to me. I might be able to make some humble suggestions in the right way, but only if I've introduced it right for them. You know, I can see you're doing this. Would you like any input? And if not from me, then perhaps from somebody else. It's hard to call people out when it comes to money. I think we all make money mistakes. And we, as you've mentioned in the past, we shouldn't look to take the speck of sawdust out of our brother's eye before we take the plank out of our own. But if we've learned lessons, I think we should be willing to share them and help others. And I think when it comes to the situation of Christian leadership, we should sometimes reckon that our Christian leaders are our spiritual leaders, primarily, not necessarily our financial leaders. So I wouldn't go to my pastor and ask him for advice on my pension scheme. He might ask me, and that would be appropriate. But I think it would be appropriate to seek guidance on the biblical principles around money. In fact, I think for some of us, 
it'd be really healthy and helpful to go to our ministers, to go to our pastors and say, look, could you please do a sermon on money? Because it would really help me and it would help my friends. And I don't want you to feel pressured that you're talking about money from the front of church. I want to hear this stuff. Please do it. And that would give them a freedom to start to share with us the principles of good stewardship, of generosity, and then we can apply them to our own situations, perhaps in those conversations with our trusted friends. And it's really about giving that permission, isn't it? And allowing someone to bring their wisdom, whether that is from a biblical perspective, a pastoral perspective, or a financial perspective, and knowing who should bring what perspective and not getting them muddled up. And just as you touched on some of the principles there about good stewardship, about generosity, it sparked a thought in my head, which is how do we live with what I feel is sometimes a tension of being good stewards of what God has given us versus also stepping out in faith, which to me always feels like it comes with inherent risk. Actually, how do we make decisions now which help us to both be faithful and good stewards of what God has given us and make room to step out in faith and to be obedient when the Lord asks us to. Yeah, ask any church treasurer how they balance those two challenges of stewardship and faith. And it's very difficult. I think it sometimes needs more than one person in the conversation to make that happen well. For example, in our church, one of my duties as a trustee of the church is to ensure that we are abiding by the charitable guidelines and rules and the accounting rules of running a business. That's what we have to do. But our lead pastor, his job is to go with faith and to have ideas and dreams and plans and to worry much less about the money. But when we sit in a room together, we both have to draw into the middle and say, we all have faith for this, but we only have finance for that. How are we going to do it? And there can be reckless faith, I want to suggest, where we might make a decision in the belief that God will provide before we have fully taken it to God, sought his guidance, had the revelation of the Holy Spirit that it's the right thing to do and have the conviction that we are prepared to put all this on the table at risk because we think God is going to make a way for it to happen. Now that's very different if you're leading a church or a charity or a business than it is if it's just you as an individual and even more so if it's an individual who has fewer financial responsibilities. For example, Bex, if you were to say to me next week, Simon, I'm feeling the call of God. I am moving to Mauritius. I think he's called me to to launch a new ministry on the beach in Mauritius and I'm going. Amen. Go for it, Bex. That's brilliant. If I did that, I'm not convinced my wife would be quite so happy taking the kids out of school and going and living in a beach hut. So we have different levels of responsibility And actually, that sometimes comes with different levels of risk and therefore different levels of spiritual conviction before we move in faith. And sometimes we need other people to say to us, Simon, I love your heart, but no, that isn't what God is saying, is it? And it takes me back to one of the biblical principles we see of the kingdom of God and how the kingdom is already here and also not yet here. And so as Christians... We effectively live in that tension. We have been born into the new kingdom. We are new creations. 
but we also still live in the reality of this present age and present world. And so thinking back to that conversation in a church context of we have faith for this, this is how we believe God's kingdom is going to come and how we're going to play our part, but still having one foot in reality. And so when you're making those decisions, thinking about how it also affects individuals. So I'm imagining a situation where maybe a church has a vision for a new outreach ministry. And to do that, they would have to employ someone full time. And that is brilliant, but it would be really irresponsible and reckless to begin to employ that person without having the faintest idea where any of that salary is going to come from. And imagine standing at the front of church and saying that, welcome Bex, our new Mauritius pastor, off she goes, without having first consulted the church, for example. You can cast the vision. And if God is for it, then he's going to change people's hearts and they'll be for it as well. He is the master of the cows on a hundred hills, whatever it says. He has the resource available to us. And part of our job as his followers is to release the resource that he's given us to where he's calling it. It might not always mean that it's us that has to do the work. It might be that someone else is called, but that we are being called to finance. And that's where our own journey of faith and finance begins to meet. Are we comfortable in supporting, in sacrificing, and sometimes in more than just financial ways, the ministry of others? If we can't do it, who's going to do it? And if we can't do it, can we help pay for it? And really what you're saying there is reminiscent of the metaphor Paul uses of being part of the body of Christ and that we each have a role to play in that, but that we function best when everybody plays their role. And so that can be a really helpful principle to take forward, but also to remember that actually as Christians, we are called to do life together and to often discern things either as a whole community, as a leadership team, or in small groups as we do life together and as we help point each other closer towards Jesus. Well, we talked about generosity in past episodes, that if we're called to be part of this community of believers, the community of the church, and there is a mission here to make disciples of all nations, and that mission comes with a cost, both in terms of people's time and emotion, but also financially, then we are all part of the cost process. God has provided all the resource that's required, but not all to one person, not all at one time. And if we can look at our own finances and think to ourselves, right, God, here's what you've given me. What should I do with it? Well, what's the first thing you should think? The first thing is, how much of this should I be giving away to the local church? That's the first call, I believe, on our money. It's the first fruits that Jesus speaks about. We don't give out of what is left once we've paid the rent, paid for the food and the clothes and the car and the petrol and the meals out and the cinema and the gym membership and bit for the holiday. And oh, there's a bit left, God, I'll give you out of that. No, we give God the first and we give God the best based on what he's called us to. And then with what is left, we might ask God, okay, with what's left, what should I do? Well, I've got some commitments. I should pay those first. I should reduce debt, as we spoke about last time. I should then invest for the future. All sorts of decisions we have to make. And we can get quite cautious about all of this. Oh, I can't live by faith because 
I have all these commitments. It's where the past comes into play. If you've committed in the past, it means your future is now committed as well. But if we can change our present to free up some of those future commitments. Now, I haven't got credit card debt anymore. I'm not buying a car on a PCP contract every month anymore. I've therefore got more resource available to sow into the kingdom. God, I'm freeing my resource, which you've given me, to give back to you for your glory. And that mention of anxiety around money feels in complete contrast with what we see in scripture when it talks about how God loves a cheerful giver and where we see the widow bring the little she has, but that actually Jesus applauds that more than the Pharisee who makes a big show of putting in a lot more money. And I say that as someone who can easily feel anxious about money. It's one thing to say we want to be cheerful givers. It's another thing to actually live that out. How do we start that process where we are right now, whatever our mindset and attitude towards money? I think we start with trusting God, but not testing God. Testing God might be, right, God, I'm giving it all away and it's your job to provide for me. On you go, do it. Now, that might be an act of complete faith, but it could be also an act of complete recklessness if God is not calling us to do that. But trusting God means talking to him first, talking to others, getting input where you have a weakness when it comes to your understanding of money, whether that's a biblical understanding or a practical understanding. You know, you get your payslip in, you're not quite sure where the money's gone or where it goes. Get other people involved. Ask for help. If the mindset you have is, God, I want to be a good steward of what you've given me. I want to be generous towards you and the church, towards other people. Then I believe God will honor that. He won't honor it by suddenly giving you a winning lottery ticket, especially if we think gambling isn't ideally the actions of a Christian. But he will honor it by helping you change your ways and your behaviors that money sticks more in your hands than flows through your hands. But it's not a quick fix. I think a lot of these things can take a lot of effort and time, but are well, well worth investing that effort and time. We often describe faith and generosity as a muscle and that as we use it, it begins to grow. So really practically, where do we start with that? How can we begin to take those first steps if that's not something that we're used to? Yeah, I think the absolute starting place is to give something to somebody. I would encourage people, and obviously I don't know their situation, give to the local church first. The local church does a tremendous job. It's the way that the Lord reaches out to the lost and the lonely and the least in society. And if I can't do that personally, I'm going to give some money to those that can and will do it far better than me. And even if that just means, you know what? I've got nothing. I'm in debt up to my ears. I have not got control over this. I'm going to start with something. I'm going to start giving a pound a week to the church and I'm going to grow it to five pounds a week or 10 pounds a week. For some people, it'll be a hundred pounds because you're giving something. And as you start to give, you start to take control of the money that you're holding. You're holding it lightly and not gripping it too tightly. And that is the starting position of getting to grips with when I have money, I will choose wise things to do with it. Start to give Then start to talk to others. Get that other person involved and say, would you please help me? Or maybe you're the person who could help somebody else. Hey, I noticed that maybe you're struggling with money. And I don't want to judge. I don't want to criticize, but I would love to help if that's what you want. People find it hard to ask. But if you offer, you might just be 
the person reaching out the hand of friendship, but also a hand that brings them into a secure financial future and possibly an even close relationship with God. And the wonderful thing is that when we partner with the Holy Spirit in that, when we are in tune with his voice, listening to what he's asking us to do and stepping out in obedience, we find that God meets us in that place. It might look different to what we expected. It's not always going to go exactly how we pictured it. But as we do that, we discover new depths to God's faithfulness and his generosity. And ultimately, God is ultimately generous. He gave his son as a sacrifice on the cross. And the reward for that that we will one day achieve is an eternity with him in heaven. This life we're living just now is temporary. These financial decisions we have to deal with, the woes we have to deal with, the struggles and the hardships are temporary, but they are a testing ground for us. Can we be faithful with what God has given us? And so next week, we're going to look to the future. We're going to look at how our current financial decisions and behaviors and emotions will impact not just us in the future, not just our friends and our neighbors, but society as a whole. And in fact, how money can have an eternal impact. How exciting that we have this tool we can use now that has an eternal impact. I just love it. And as much as money can be stressful and difficult, the potential it can have is just so exciting. So we invite you to join us in the future, which is going to be next week. Of course, for you, it might be just in a few minutes time if you're listening to these back to back, when we'll be talking about the future of money in terms of our own attitudes and behaviours. Now, perhaps you have a question for us. Perhaps you have a comment for us. Perhaps you think we're talking utter nonsense. We would love to hear it, whatever you think. And you can email us on where your treasure is at freerangepodcasting.co.uk or send us a message via Instagram, where your treasure is podcast. And we'll be looking forward to those in our future, possibly in your past, but we'll meet again on the airwaves. That's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.